Local Motors started small in Phoenix, Arizona. Then President Obama mentioned it in a speech, and before you know it, Jay Leno had the company on his cable show. Now today, the CEO of Local Motors joins us to talk about his company and its community on AutoLine this week. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. Welcome to AutoLine This Week, coming to you from downtown Los Angeles. In fact, just outside of the LA Auto Show. We've got a terrific program for you today. A lot of it's going to be focused on this bus that's behind us, which actually represents a brand new business model that could prove to be very disruptive to the automotive industry. And to bring us up to speed on what that's all about, our special guest today is Jay Rogers, the CEO of a company called Local Motors. And Jay, welcome to AutoLine This Week. Thanks so much, John. Real pleasure to be here. Also joining me is Gary Vasilash, my co-host on my other show, AutoLine After Hours. And Gary, great having you John, here. How are as you well. doing? You might, you might mention that we're actually at Automobility LA because LA is trying to change it up a little bit. And, and Jay, uh, you just spoke about a disruption, as, as John has indicated. That's right. It's, about a, that. it's a different kind of show. Uh, most auto shows people don't know are run by dealers. And so this is a unique show because it's not controlled by dealers, and it is also one where they're therefore trying to take that freedom and do some different things. And so being able to do automobility before the show opens while press days are going on means that we're seeing new tech come in fast. So let's talk about the new tech that you guys are bringing, a brand new business model as well. I mean, the simple description, I guess, of Local Motors is you are the guys who 3D print cars. But why don't you take it from there? Because it's a whole lot more than just 3D printing. I mean, Local Motors is a technology company that designs, builds, and sells vehicles. Our mission in life is to bring technology into vehicles right now. And so uh, making that happen means that we exist to shape the future, or at least be part of shaping it quickly. And this uh, cognitive self-driving shuttle named Ali behind us is part of that. Our community designed it, and, uh, um, and it is full of technology that we want to see on the road right now. And our business is optimized to listen to those ideas, to take in the technology that's real, to discern whether it's real now or it's not real yet, and then to put it in consumers' hands so that we get that lean test out of it. Okay, you brought up one topic that we got to get into right off the bat. You said our community designed us. Explain that. Yeah, that is true. I mean, the first time I said it to... Uh, Jay Leno, in fact, he was like, what? what's a community? And uh, and he's right, you know, he's sort of, some people have this wistful notion of, um, you know, it's the people on my cul-de-sac. Uh, and it's not quite like that. We look at our community as people who could give ideas and make, uh, make your product better. Uh, that can be a customer, a future customer. It can be someone who can't afford what you make, but may use it at some point. And it can definitely be a supplier. So it can be somebody who comes along and says, I have a product that I haven't shown anybody else, but I think it would be great for what you're doing. But you have to be open in order to get that feedback. In other words, instead of having your own design staff, your own art engineering staff, you're crowdsourcing the design of this. That's right. And, and you know, we are, we are, we say co-creation because crowdsourcing has this notion that I'm taking from you and, and, and then giving to someone else. And co-creation is more about starting a conversation with a community member, which means, well, that's an interesting motor or that's an interesting idea or I see that you'd buy it if we did the following things. But now we're going to respond and we're going to say, but these are the things that are holding us back. What do you think of that? So it is a two-way street. And you guys are all about speed. So, I mean, it's, it's very interesting. This is a running... Autonomous vehicle, Sorry. LiDAR, using IBM Watson. How long did it take to develop this vehicle? 
This vehicle was designed in Challenge and it came out as the top winner on uh, several hundred entries in a challenge that started in uh, the summer of 2015. And we ran that challenge in Berlin. I was there to award the winning teams. We Berlin, had Germany. Berlin, Germany. And we have an international community, so we like running challenges everywhere. And I was there to award the winning teams, you know, one through six. And, uh, um, and then we shelved it for mm, probably six, seven months. And then in March, we saw autonomy was really picking up as a theme and shared mobility. We thought this would be an interesting entry, so we green-lighted the project in March, and we debuted the first one in June. So two and a half months. Now, to be fair, if we're speaking to you know your listeners and viewers, um, they want to know maybe more details. And for us, this wasn't about bailing wire and whipping together something that couldn't be reproduced. Uh, there was a solid subframe. There was 3D printing that went into the whole base and insides. There were tools that we 3D printed, so therefore they didn't cost us anything to be able to do. Uh, we had identified suppliers quickly when we told them what we were going to do, and this was something that could be replicated at low volume. So not a one-off, not a prototype, not, not, a, a, prototype. not, a, not a prop that you could take around with you to That's show right. people. So, so part of locomotives is all about speed. And historically, for an auto company, this would take seven, 10 years to get out on the street. You guys are doing it in a couple months. Right. What's the difference? What's the, what's the magic of locomotives to be able to do that? People, that's people's favorite question. And so part of it is imagining that you could do it differently. And a mindset starts a lot of things. Um, the energy that builds a product exists almost entirely in people's heads. And so if you can make them believe that they're gonna see value from it, that their ideas are going to be used, that's the start. And that may sound fluffy, but it is true. If you stick someone in a hole and say, you're never gonna see your idea come to fruition, and you tell them that enough times, they're gonna stop trying. And so we had to reset. That was the first. Then the second thing is actually build a microfactory that can make it real. Because saying you like someone's idea, but then saying, I gotta go sell that to another person's factory to get it made, well, that's a black hole of maybe never gonna happen. And so those things were some of the first pieces that, that make that change happen. And organizing things online in a co-creative portal where you're actually sharing real time and it's free to join means that you're reducing the cost to share to nothing. Everybody's got a smartphone and a computer, and so those things can speed up the beginning of making those. Let's talk more about these micro factories because that, I think that's a second element of what I see as being so disruptive with local motors. You talked about how you go out to the community to do all the design. The micro factory idea intrigues me because big time automakers spend about a billion dollars to build an assembly plant. They have to have manufacturing volume. Their costs only start to go down as they build more and more and more cars. The typical assembly plant builds about 250,000 a year, but that's not the way that you're going to do it with your micro factories. So give us some details of what you mean by that. Well, I mean, look, there are great lions of building factories looking at Bill McDonough and Bill Clay Ford getting together and say, we're gonna build the Dearborn truck plant. That was amazing because it was saying it's a high volume line for the F-150 and uh, we're gonna build it with a green roof and we're gonna change a lot of things and we're gonna make it more enjoyable to work in it. I mean, those were amazing things. Or take history, the Fiat plant. We're gonna take an urban area, we're gonna put a track on the roof, you know, and do those things. Those were amazing things, but they came from a time where 
We didn't really understand what the internet was doing for our business or didn't even have it. And so uh, we didn't have the worldwide logistics supply chain figured out in a way and we weren't opening the business. In a micro factory, we're reducing it, we're putting a very small amount of capital into it and we are not stamping vehicles out of metal. And today, there isn't a vehicle company that you can point to that doesn't make a body in white and stamp with body panels because that's simply how we've always done it. They're always done it, but what I like is instead of putting a billion dollars into a plant, making a quarter of a million cars a year, you're talking small investment, small plant, and what? Making, what, four to yeah, six thousand? million dollars into a plant, and the truth is not most of that money does not come from our company because it's an industrial tourism mecca. So you'll get people who will give land or low-cost land or want to put their equipment in or be able to be leaseholders of it. So we're not shelling out even all the money for the $20 million to put up the factory, but it is fast. We can get them up in five months, and they invigorate a local economy. I mean, they make people want to show up. They are knowledge worker jobs. We're making autonomous vehicles that are cognitive, that are 3D printed. If you were a stamping technician or a pattern maker or a metallurgist or, I mean, everything from technical trades to sweeping the floors to uh, postdoc work, there's a place for you at a micro factory. But again, you're, you're talking about building real products, not building novelty products for people. I mean, products that make a difference in people's lives in terms of transportation. Yeah. And 3,000 out of a micro factory on an yeah. annual basis? Yeah. So let's talk about that. I mean. Look at downtown Detroit. You've got people who have come in in the middle of serious you know, uh, difficulties in urban blight, and uh, there's an opportunity to deliver a solution for all the things that are going on in downtown. And right now, especially in Detroit, it's, it is um, hard to imagine that with so much automotive engineering that's there, there isn't a factory that's right-sized to be able to make a neighborhood electric solution or a neighborhood solution at all um, that would be fit for downtown Detroit. And when you think about a neighborhood solution that could say your name and say, you know, welcome back, where are we going today? And take you from Gross Point to downtown or from, you know, on the Woodward Dream Cruise every day. I mean, I'm using Detroit as a specific example, but urban reinvention is what we're about in America. It's also what we're about in Mumbai today. We need to reinvent the way we look at uh, transportation. And what I like about what you're do talking about with these micro factories is they would provide local solutions, hence the name of the company, Local Motors. Exactly. So we think of ourselves not just as Local Motors and what the name might feel or the, the, the hearkening back to General Motors as a way, but also a motor of a local economy. Mm -hmm. And another thing that you guys, when I was, I was asking about the, the notion of speed, that you're also about speed to using new technologies, whether it's process technologies like you guys basically pioneering large-scale 3D printing. I mean, people have been 3D printing for a number of years, but you guys were the ones who said, hey, let's make this be used for uh, larger products. But also other technologies that may be deployed in automobiles and see if they work and, and talk about how oh, that I mean, this is why I started Local Motors, because it's where you make the difference. I mean, I was a maker. I loved Richard Scarry, you know, and yeah, I loved David McCauley's books about the way things work. And so, it, you know, making a, a minimum efficient scale that can onboard shots on goal, there are enabling technologies like 3D printing of a vehicle. That's super cool. Uh, the materials that then you can put through that, biopolymers. Right now, we're experimenting with the idea of polymers, not just the idea, we're experimenting with printing 
biopolymers that can use bamboo as a reinforcement instead of carbon and uh, and then also can be chipped up and put in your garden. And we should also mention that you're working hand in glove with uh, Oak Ridge National Lab in developing a lot of this technology, That's right? true. So to sort of draw these two answers together, there are these enabling technologies that you can get out of labs and out of other research institutions that can make your process go faster. And then there are the technologies that you put on the rig. So, I mean, I'm excited about so many things. I'm excited about transparent LEDs, OLEDs that can go dark when you want them to go dark, but that can display a presentation when you want them to do that. I'm excited about solid state LIDAR so that I can see better but not have spinning equipment that fails early. I'm excited about multiplexing signals, 3D printed wires. I'm excited about the ability to have hub motors in the vehicle. I'm excited about so many things that just don't get tried quickly. Okay, so I've got to believe that every single major automaker in the world has come and talked to you. And, and are they receptive to your ideas or do they say, that's very nice, Jay, and uh, have a good day and, and go back to business as usual? Uh, four years into the starting of Local Motors, I went and found the guy that wrote the treatise on microfactory production. Out of England, wasn't it? He was it? in Cardiff and he was in Wales. And so, uh, um, and I said, why is it that we don't get a lot of hostility from automakers? When we meet them, they, they're kind of excited about it. And he said, that's easy. He said, the idea of a microfactory is something which is, um, uh, watched and wanted by the people that work in big companies and, and they know they're never going to get that in the work that they're doing so they're going to root for you. And, and a company is different than a person so an employee at one of those big companies is going to root for you. The, the stockholders are probably going to say well I can also buy stock in that. Um, there's no one really as a personification that's going to come along and say I hate you for what you're doing. Right. I mean, if Henry Ford were still alive, he might have been doing it himself before we showed up. So I think of it as a parade of progress, so use the boss Kettering word. And, uh, um, and I think that, you know, that's the reason why a community-based business is more lovable. Um, yes, we may tear down some walls that make people upset, uh, but I think that we're not doing it because we're mean-spirited. We're doing it because we all, as I, as I said recently here at Automobility, we're all consumers together of mobility. Mm -hmm. And the change isn't acceptable if it comes too slow. Jay, where'd you come up with the idea for this? You know, I was a Marine in Iraq, and I was serving, and two of my friends were killed in 2004. And that motivation to do something in their honor where we were providing oil pipeline security for a country that really was a complete net exporter of uh, fossil fuels. Just thought, where's it all going? And then, you know, later on I went and I saw, you know, Fort McMurray in Canada, where recently there were devastating fires, and I realized that whether it was $2 a barrel in Iraq or $80 a barrel, we're pulling oil out at the rapid rate because we are trying to finance what we're doing. And so the bottom line is that it is really something where we have to change, and I got motivated to make it happen fast as a result of my experience. What's the next step? Okay, you, you've got Ollie, we talked a little bit about that, autonomous electric bus, but you're doing cars too. You've got a factory in Knoxville, Tennessee that yeah. you're soon going to be printing cars where the right. public can come in and buy them. That's right. When's that get up and going and what kind of cars are you going to print? Well, I, I love the debate. So people are always saying no one's going to buy a car in the future and you'll hear people like when uh, Tilo Kozlowski was the, was the lead analyst for Gardner, he now works for Porsche. I remember listening to him say the, the, the future Ford Mustang is the iPhone. Kids aren't going to buy cars anymore. And that would be like telling me that no one wants to buy a phone anymore because it's just a place where you put in digits. And Steve Jobs came along and he was like, how about this? 
and he hand handed the world an iPhone that, by the way, on stage didn't even work when he introduced it. And so, you know, I read the tea leaves. I would like to hope that our products work a little better. You saw us just driving in on an Ollie when we came in. But the point is, like, if you tell someone they're never going to use the product that they used yesterday, I could believe it. But if you can make them believe that things could be so radically different, then, then they start to dream about what it could look like. So you ask, we're making cars too. Now this is a car, it's a vehicle, but I want the youth of this world not to believe that the Mustang is dead, but that there is something else in the future for them. The future smartphone of vehicles. It's a quaint notion, but it really works. And so I want you to be able to print it out at your school on a MakerBot or an Ultimaker. I want you to dream about it. And I want you to be able to come in and click print drive your vehicle as your first car in our micro factory. And you may start by driving it around, but let's, let's talk about that for a second. You small companies, like one of the companies here, Carvey. Carvey is literally putting a camera in the front of your car and it's learning your habits. Well, I just said something important there. It's learning your habits. If you're not driving, there's no habit to learn. So I actually think today that having some cars on the road that humans are driving that are, that are networked and connected are critically important to learning people's habits. And that's one of the reasons why we're launching a car in addition to an Ollie. We need to learn some habits. So, but these cars are going to be affordable. They're not going to be, I mean, so one would think that, gee whiz, if I'm making something special for myself, like a piece of jewelry, you know, a special piece of jewelry, it's going to cost far more right. than buying a standard one. Right. You're basically talking about using digital technology to make it possible, more than possible, to make it actual yeah. and, and affordable for people to, be, to, to buy. So what are you looking at in terms of a starting price? Just ballpark. 15,000 bucks. I want you to be able to come in. Neighborhood electric vehicle. So that's pretty expensive for an NEV. You're not driving it on a highway. But what I'm betting is that parents will say, you know what, I don't want you as my 16-year-old on a highway. And if we're going to go, you're going to drive my car as the parent. But around town to get to school, I also don't want to have to take you to school all the time, right? So I want you to do this. But I want to know that this company understands what passive safety is so that they're going to keep you out of harm's way. And furthermore, I want you as a millennial to want this. So if it's recyclable, I think it'll meet your vibe. I want it to be personalized. I want it to be cool. Parents don't want to buy their kids. I mean, let's look at Transformers, you know? He bought him a, you know, a bumblebee because he wanted to have something that was cool. I think that mom and dad want their kids to be in technology, be responsible, and be safe. And so this at $15,000 might be an answer for that. Mm -hmm. If you tell the kid also for an upgrade package you can have autonomy on that printed vehicle, now it's not just a car you drive, but it's a car that's cognitive and it's a car that can have that same package that we put on an Ollie. Sky's the limit. If you don't have tooling that's locking you into the way you're making the car, that $15,000 car could go up to $25,000 or $30,000 if you want more tech. I would got to imagine, too, that you're looking beyond just neighborhood electrics and yeah. that you want them to be able to drive on the freeway. So I see this massive convergence in order to get to the future of where we need to go. Um, we're printing vehicles that have, that have taken the body and white tooling cost of, let's say, 500 to 600 million in body and white, and we've taken it down to zero. <laughs> which is an astonishing statement. It's an astonishing statement. When you can do that, now you can say, you know what, I'm gonna let the community say, we're gonna go crash a hundred different configurations of this physically. So we're not looking at finite element analysis, we're not looking at anything else. We wanna go build it, crash test dummy, and crash it a hundred different ways in the same two weeks. Today, if you're an automaker, 
You may do low volume tooling to do a crash test, but you're not making a hundred different versions of it. No way. And so like when Ford did the GT, you know, they did low volume bauxite tooling in order to be able to have it, but they had tried and tried and tried to do confirmatory FEA before they went and said, I hope that we can make it. That's changing. And so what that means is you can now see this convergence for rapid testing and passive safety and composites that already work in Formula One racing. We don't make Formula One or IndyCar out of metal. We make them out of composites. So we should be doing the same thing in the vehicles we drive around. So I see the highway car is gonna come into rapid convergence with the NEVs that we're making. And then we're gonna be able to add the active safety measures on it. And we all know the number one active safety measure is not an airbag that deploys right before you're in an accident. The number one active safety measure is never getting an accident in the first place. Exactly. And so autonomy is that. And once that's done, I think somebody said it really well here at Automobility, airlines don't compete on safety. <laughs> There's <laughs> a, a great reason. Point. So Gary, he says, don't need any stamping dies, saved seven to $800 million in tooling costs. What's it take to develop a stamping die? A couple of years? I mean, if you want to go into mass volume right. production, right? Oh, yeah. It's a you're, couple you're, of years well, just to get the dies. Yeah, a year and a half easily. Yeah, for a year sure. and a half and, to, and just then, to do that die. Right, for to get a single one, and the, and, uh, the, the costs are enormous. And, and you'll and, usually, uh, I mean, as we know, like when you get the Cadillac fender that was really a sharp radius on that curve, you didn't just hit it with the same die. You might have hit it with right. progressive dies multiple times and so well, and nowadays i mean when you want more styling the only way to get more styling is to have more exotic dies and more more hits in the in the stamping die and you guys don't do any of that by being able to manipulate the uh materials as they're flowing out of the uh print the 3d mill. printing but you know one of the things that that i want to ask you about is is that okay you guys started with the rally fighter which is sort of Put the stake in the ground of, yeah. of how you can develop things quickly. Now, there's some people would be critical to say, well, you know what? They used an engine that was not developed by local motors. It was it was a standard engine. But now at SEMA, you guys came out with the Axion D1. I think they have that right. Yeah. So 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 you guys have now co-created a a powertrain system. That's right. Tell us about that. So, I mean, look, I think of uh, co-creation as a rail gun for getting directed energy to a project. And so we started with what you talked about, which is we're going to 3D print a car. Well, that's just dynamics and body and crush and all those important things and layout. And uh, But now, why wouldn't we point it at other things? Point that rail gun at other things that need to be done. And really, the way I think about it is, if somebody's going to hold us up, then I'm gonna point the rail gun at that area. And so powertrain has been a big old holdup around the, around the industry. Batteries, maybe not so much, because batteries are used in so many things that they are more like a commodity. It's not a Duracell, but it's more like a commodity. The 18650 cells or the prismatics or other things like that. And people now can come along and make packs, but a, a, a motor is something where you want to be able to make sure that it has the the layout and the capability and delivers the motility that you're looking for. So the Axion D1 is really a step forward and it's a shot across the bow to say, if we can do it in the build of the vehicle and we can do it in the motor, 
So tell what me else about, can we do with it? I'm not familiar with the engine. What's it like? So what we did is, it was great. We found early on that there was somebody that had done a lot of work in making efficient somewhere from about 30 to 40 horsepower up to 300 horsepower in a very tight package. It's an idea that had been around for a while. If I want to take cooling and the inverters, the caps, the, the controller of the AC induction motor and the rotor in the stator and the differential, and I want to have it all in a box so that I could just plop it into a car, um, could it be done? And so, so it's an electric motor. Then. It is. Yeah. It's an AC induction electric motor for those people that want to know what type of motor it is. And so, but everything's up for grabs, meaning we gave you a minimum viable product, you being the community that we, that we started with, and we said, this is the minimum viable product. And now, where are we going to go from there? It started with straight cut gears, so we have nothing to hide. When we were pulling 55, 60 mile an hour pulls, it was at 80 dBs inside the vehicle, which is super loud. It sounded cool. It sounded like a Formula One vehicle. You know, wow! And, and you will have people that will say, well, that'll never do. But that's like everything at Local Motors. Just wait, because now you get gear folks who come along and they say, I know how to solve that problem. We're gonna do helical gears. And we're gonna do helical gears with this, this uh, backlash and this offset. And so those are things that are known. And if we can get a community contributor to come in and we say, if we use your design, you're gonna get paid for every D1 that we use. And we might even buy your gears. Well, that starts to bring the gear problem and the noise down. And then we say, well, are we going to keep the pump inside? Are we going to put the pump as a satellite pump? And then we can talk about that. And then we talk about how we're going to cool the core that we use. And so point being is there are many ways to bring it along, but tuning it will probably have some lockdown or fenced areas of the, uh, of, of the electronics where you can't get into it. And then we'll have others that will be really tunable. And boy, when you give the hacking community the opportunity to be able to have something that's open source, it's like an Android yeah. phone. You know, and, and this is the thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's like the hacking community that you guys are tapping into this real passion that people have. And it's, it's a passion that they want to th see things manifest. Right. And, and that's the key thing, I think, that it's, it's not just like an idea and, and you say, oh, that's very nice and uh, let's move on. But you guys are actually saying, let's make it, let's use it, let's improve it and let's get it out there for the for the market which is entirely different than than you know automobile industry or any other interesting think of yeah, I mean, hold on Jay cuz we're, we're right at the very end okay. here right we're going to have to wrap up we're going to have to do a whole nother show on this at some point too because this is fascinating we're barely scratching the surface of what local motors is all about so look thanks so much for coming on the show we open the door. You're gonna have to come back. You know, maybe we got to go down to Knoxville and drive one of these cars, yeah, Gary. Yeah. Sure. Okay. But Jay Rogers, thanks so much for giving us a little bit of a snapshot of what Local Motors is all about. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, John. And Gary, thanks again for helping me out on the show. Really appreciate it. And of course, I want to thank all of you for having tuned in to this show outside of the LA Auto Show.